Hi, my name is Mark Riggins, and I'm pastor here at LifePoint, located in Plano, Texas, and we meet here every Sunday at 1030, and we are here for your family. I hope today's message is an encouragement to you. What we just witnessed was six or seven miracles where God took death and brought life, amen? That's a pretty special thing to witness. It is why we are here. It is why we gather. And I want to say thank you to all of you who serve. Thank you for all of you who pray. Thank you for all who give, all who invite, because you have a part in that story. This is the story of the book of Acts, and it began 2,000 years ago, this whole idea of Christianity, and we're going to look at it together today. But what we're doing is we're having a memory verse as we go through the book of Acts, and I want, you to, I want to invite you to say it with me. So would you all stand as we say our memory verse together today, it's Acts chapter 15, verse 19. Say it nice and loud. Say it strong with me this morning, church. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Acts 15, 19. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much to be here this morning and to witness miracles. That is evidence of your spirit moving amongst us in this place, in this time. God, my prayer is that we'll get to see that more and more, and that more people will come to know you. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated if you would. Now, I want to have a little bit of fun as we kick off this morning, because I want to get your mind engaged right out of the gate. Here's what I want to ask you. As school is kicked back off, a lot of you are teachers, a lot of you are superintendents, principals, you're in the school system. Some of you are students and you know that there are some subjects that are just more difficult than others. So here's what I want to ask you. For you when you were in school, what was the subject that was most difficult for you? All right. So go ahead and ask the person beside you, what was the subject that was most difficult for you? Take 10 seconds real quick and then I want you to share it with me here in just a second. Hey, those of you who are online, why don't you just go in the comments right now and type in what was the subject most difficult for you, and then I look forward to reading it later on in the day. We're so glad that you're here today. We'll be in Acts 15 today if you want to go ahead and grab your Bibles. All right, let's go ahead and just share real quick. Right over here in this section, let's start with you. You can just shout it out. What was the subject that was most difficult for you? Math. math. Well, just in general. No specific math, just math. In, yeah, all that one plus one equals three stuff. I don't blame you. Yeah. All right, right here, subject that was most difficult for you. Did you say writing? I love that. Man, I haven't heard that in a while, just writing in general. Anybody, did you say algebra? Yeah, okay. How about right here, subject that was most difficult for you? Do you say typing? Way to go. <laughs> haven't heard that one in a while, Charles. I love it. What was the max, like speed you could get to? Hey, let's cheer on Charles. We want to encourage. Yeah. I love the confidence. Maybe 30? All right, right here. Sec what was the most difficult subject for you? Spanish. Now, who would say language of some kind? That was, that was a challenge for sure. All right, and somebody said economics? Yeah. All right, how about right here? Subject that was most difficult for you? History and algebra. Yeah, history always felt like you were just learning facts and names, but as... Am I the only one as I get older, I love history much more? You're shaking your head like, not so much. <laughs> I was trying. Not... All right, right here. Subject that was most difficult for you? 
Religion. Can you say that in church? I love that, Mark. Here's the thing. I agree with Mark. I think when we're in high school, when we're in college, we have all these topics, but as we become an adult, you know the thing that I think becomes most difficult? Religion. Faith. And church. That then all of a sudden becomes the most... Because we figure out the job thing, we figure out some relationships, we have a family, we start kind of doing life, and we sort of figure out how to make money and pay our bills. But inside of all of us, there is this thing that seems to always be difficult, and this this whole faith thing. This whole relationship with God thing. And sometimes even the church thing. I remember when I was stationed at Goodfellow Air Force Base in San Angelo back in the early 90s, and I had a, a relationship with God, and I had a relationship with my church, and I loved my church. I had been raised in church. I sort of knew what to do, when, where to go, where to sit down, when to stand up, where the stories in the Bible were generally found. But mostly I loved Jesus, and I had a friend of mine who was also in the Air Force. His name was Skyba, and I wanted to bring him with me to church. But see, Skyba didn't have a background in church. He didn't have a background with a relationship with God at all. And I knew I could bring him, and he would find the joy that I found in church. And so I brought him to church. And I'll never forget Skyba coming with me at church. And, and people were genuinely glad to see me, and we'd give each, other's, uh, give each other hugs and, and high-five, and we'd walk in. And they'd kind of give the obligatory hello to, to Skyba because they didn't know Skyba. Skyba, in their mind, was an outsider. I was an insider. I kind of knew the routine. And Skyba came with me, and he sat down in the seat. He didn't know any of the songs, obviously. And then all of a sudden, when the message came, I thought the pastor was preaching a very good message. But the whole time now, I'm hearing it through different ears because I knew Skyba didn't know where that book of the Bible was. He didn't know what, what was the significance of those characters. And he didn't even know the gospel story. He may have heard it, but he didn't understand it. And then there were theological terms that were being used that Skyba didn't know. And when we were done, people again said goodbye to me, and they kind of gave the obligatory goodbye to Skyba, and we walked out, and here's what Skyba said to me, and it crushed me. He said, man, I am so happy there's a good place for you to be in your relationship with God. And I knew what he meant was it's not a place for him. He didn't feel particularly welcome there. There's a drum beat happening in the background. That's just for effect. Now, if I need to do anything differently to erase that effect, let me know. So Skyban never, here's the sad part, here's sort of the cost of what became complicated for him. He never went with me to church again. And I had a relationship with Skyba, and I would try to talk with him about Jesus, but I wasn't ever sure I was doing it right or doing it well. And as far as I know, Skyban never came to know Christ, and, and that may not have happened no matter what was going on in our relationship or the relationship with the church, but the one thing I was disappointed in was that I didn't and we didn't do a good job of making him experience the gospel and the opportunity to have a relationship with Jesus like I thought we could. In other words, it just sort of got complicated. It was for those of us who knew the routine, not so much for people who felt like they were from the outside. But see, here's what you and I know. Church isn't for, like, religious people. It's not even for church people. Church is for people people. Because Jesus didn't come to this earth to die and rescue religious people. Jesus came to earth to rescue all people. 
In fact, it's Jesus if you remember. In fact, if you were here this morning and you feel like you're a little bit on the outside, like you feel like you don't typically do church and you're here and the whole baptism thing is new to you, the whole songs were new to you, and now this guy's up here talking and, and you're wondering what's going on. This is all sort of new to you. If you feel like an outsider, here's the really good news. Jesus would love to talk with you. Because when he was on earth, you're the kind of person he went to the most. You're the person he went to most often. In fact, there's a story in the New Testament in John chapter 9 when Jesus went to an outsider who was blinded, and Jesus went to him and he healed him. Well, we would all go, wait, well, that's a great thing. Except there were some religious people over here who saw that happen, and because Jesus healed him on a Sabbath day, it meant in their eyes he broke the rules in order to do something good. And in their mind, that's bad. Even if someone's life is better, it doesn't matter because they broke the rules. In other words, their faith was complicated. And so they go to this blind man and say, look, I'm, 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 yeah, I know you used to be blind. I know you've been healed. Good, good. But did you know that you aren't supposed to do that on the Sabbath? And he's like, oh, no, I didn't know that. And they said, yeah, in fact, the fact that he healed you on the Sabbath means that he's probably a sinner too. And it invalidates your faith because of when He healed you. And His response is recorded in John chapter 9, verse 25. I think it's one of the most powerful responses of all. This is a blind man just came to faith in Jesus talking to some religious people. And here's what he says. Whether he, Jesus, is a sinner or not, I do not know. But the one thing I know is I was blind, but now I see. Amen? It's like, hey, a changed life. It's simple. And here's what Jesus came to say. It really is simple. You just place your faith in Jesus Christ because of what He did for you and me on the cross, and you get to have an eternal relationship with God. It is that simple. And we may complicate it at times unintentionally, but it really is that simple. And Jesus came to say, I have come to seek and to save the lost. I have left the 99 to go after the one. It really is that simple. And it was beautifully simple for years. Then, Jesus died and He rose again, and after He ascended into heaven, it became complicated again. Because we as human beings always make this idea of faith more and more complicated. This is who we are. It's what we do. And it's in the middle of this tension. It's in the middle of this confusion of, is faith complicated? How do we treat the outsider? That we pick up the story in the book of Acts today. And I want you to see... The church, once and for all, kind of has like a board meeting or a business meeting, and the elders, the apostles get together, and they decide to make a decision today. How do we treat outsiders? Is faith complicated, or is it really that simple? And it comes to a head, and there's a rather spirited conversation that we're going to look at today as they address this issue in the book of Acts. So if you've got your Bibles, look with me at Acts chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew there. You can pick it up, look in the table of contents. You can find the book of Acts. And today we are in chapter 15. I hope you'll look with us in the Bible today because this is a very powerful story. We're going through the book of Acts, one of the books in the Bible. And if you don't know anything about the book of Acts, just know this. It's the first 30 years after Jesus rose from the dead and it records the birth of Christianity or the birth of Christ's church. It's a historic document. It's really our story as we pick it up here today as the church has to decide what do we do with these outsiders? Is it really that simple? Acts chapter 15, look what it says. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch. You remember Antioch is that town 300 miles south of, or I'm sorry, 300 miles north of Jerusalem that we looked at the last couple of weeks. 
And these certain people were teaching the believers. Now, what were they teaching the believers? These new people who believe that knowing God is simply through Jesus. Well, here's what they're teaching. They're teaching something more complicated. Unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. That's a little more complicated, isn't it? In fact, that's so complicated that I would venture to say in the first century with these folks in charge that the new members class is going to mostly be women, right? It's complicated. Well, remember Paul and Barnabas, who we looked at the last couple of weeks in chapter 13 and 14, they went on their very first missionary journey. You remember that? And we looked at it. They went throughout the Mediterranean. You remember what they were preaching? Paul kept saying, the message of salvation has been sent It's Jesus and Jesus alone. It is simple but sufficient to place your faith in Him. I know you're a Gentile. I know you feel like you're an outsider, but just know Jesus came for you. Place your faith in this wonderful Jesus who died on the cross for you. And He continues to go around all the Mediterranean to all these towns and claiming that it's that simple. So imagine when Paul and Barnabas come back to Antioch in this church and all of a sudden these other believers go, well, no, it's actually not that simple. You've got to follow all these laws of Moses. Paul and Barnabas must look at each other and they look at them and they're like, excuse me? And they're so passionate about this because remember, Paul nearly died for this. He's been stoned and left for dead. So he's sort of given his life. He is all in. So when he hears this, let's just say, I suspect that the conversation, the volume began to increase. The passion began to elevate and it began began to be a little spirited. Look at verse 2. It says, this news brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. I guess so. So, here's what happened. Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. Now, if you're like me and I like maps and I like uh, to learn about directions even though I'm horrible with directions, you read that and you think, That doesn't make sense because Antioch is 300 miles north of Jerusalem, but they just said that you're going to go up to Jerusalem. We would say you would go down to Jerusalem because in our culture, we think in terms of north, south, east, west, we think down and up. But in their culture, primarily a walking culture, it would have been based on elevation, not directions where they said up and down. So because the elevation of Jerusalem was so much higher, they would say you're going up to Jerusalem. So now Paul and Barnabas are leaving Antioch and they're going up to Jerusalem. And watch what happens along the way. It says, The church sent them on their way, and as Paul and Barnabas and these others traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles, or these outsiders, how they had been converted. And watch this. The news made all the believers very glad. I would guess so. Just like we celebrated today because people were being baptized, going from death to life, they celebrated back then too. There's just something that's impromptu and that's unavoidable and you can't stop it when you see someone place their faith in this wonderful Savior. It's been that way for 2,000 years. And now watch, as it goes on, it says that um, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. So here's what they've come to say. It really is simply about Jesus. So they show up there in Jerusalem to have this meeting, and now the business meeting is about to start. And guess who leads the conversation? It's not going to be as simple as they might think. 
Look at the next verse. It says, Then some of the believers who believed, who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, they stood up and said, Well, I'm happy for you, Paul and Barnabas, but you just need to know, all those people that you just told about the gospel over the last 18 months on your first missionary trip, you see, they must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses, over 600 laws, in order to really be a follower of God. In other words, they're saying, it's complicated. And this is where the tension begins. Well, how do we, why is this so complicated? Why is this so difficult? Everybody would go, that's the most difficult subject in my life now as I'm an adult, is trying to figure out how is it that we follow God and how do we help other people follow God? It's an age-old problem. And now I want you to see verse 6. It says, the apostles and elders, they met concerning this question. Now, we need to know who's there for this business meeting. It's called the Jerusalem Council as they're there in the city. It is the Hall of Fame, the legends of our faith. People like Peter, Paul, Barnabas, and James, the half-brother of Jesus, is even there. One of the early church leaders. So you imagine those people in the room. Like we're all talking and we're all debating and we're all questioning. But when they stand up and talk, the rest of us get quiet, right? And it begins, look at verse 7, it says, After much discussion, Peter got. I would love to see that. I'm like, that's the guy who walked on water. That's the guy that Jesus appeared to after he rose from the dead. That's the one who preached and 3,000 people came to know Jesus. Peter got up. And when he did, I imagine the place went quiet. And look what he says. He throws his hat in the ring and he answers this question. How do we treat outsiders? Look what he said. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. He said it's about the gospel, and you believe, and that's it. Now remember, we saw this. Remember in Acts chapter 10, we saw Peter have that vision where the sheep came down, four-legged animals, and all of a sudden, clean, unclean, and then he realized, oh, we're talking about people, and he goes to Cornelius' house, and Cornelius and his whole household who are Gentiles come to know Christ. So Peter is not only believing this, he's practicing this, and so he throws his hat in the ring and says, here's what I know. It's Christ and Christ alone. The laws of Moses are good. They're part of our family tradition. They're part of our religious tradition. But it's a new day. It's all about Jesus. And then he sits down. Then Paul and Barnabas stand up in this meeting. I'm thinking everybody's going... Now, wait a minute. That's Paul, who used to be called Saul, who was the terrorist for God, who used to kill people. Yep, that's him. And then he goes on this missionary trip, and, and people end up trying to kill him, and now he is like a radical missionary for Jesus. Yep, that's him. And he's the one who's one of the leaders in the church now. Yep, that's him. It's Paul and Barnabas. They stand up. Look at verse 12, and it says, The whole assembly became silent. I guess so. As they listened to Barnabas and Paul, as they're telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. In other words, they just tell the story of what God's up to. Hey, hey so-and-so got baptized, so-and-so transformed their life, so-and-so was blind, and now they see. They just went through all the cities of the island of Cyprus, then all the cities up in Pamphylia and up in uh, Poseidon, as we looked at it last week. And then they, they talk about all that God has done in those lives. And they're saying, all I know is these people were blind and now they see. They were dead and now they're alive. It is indisputable what God is doing to those outsiders. 
And the person who stands up next, I find most fascinating, it's James, who is an early church leader, and he's the half-brother of Jesus. And look what it says in verse 13. When they finished, Paul and Barnabas, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Now, here's why I think everybody listens to James. He's Jesus' brother, right? And you think, well, that's not a big deal. Of course, he's going to say, well, no, really? What would it take for you to become convinced that your brother is the Messiah? Right? This guy's not believing. He's like, baloney, I live with the guy. You ever seen him make his room? I don't know, right? And all of a sudden, something happened that caused James, this is not the James, John, and Peter inner circle apostle. Remember, he was beheaded back earlier. This is James, the half-brother of Jesus, who shows up and suddenly becomes an early church leader. And James became a follower of his own brother and believed he was the Messiah when one thing happened. Can you guess what it is? Resurrection. When you see your brother rise from the dead, you believe. And James believes. And he has become an all-in follower of his half-brother Jesus, realizing that he's more than just his brother. He is the eternal God himself. And when James stands up, the room goes silent as they want to hear, what does James have to say about this? What do we do with these outsiders? How do we treat people who are trying to come to faith? Do they need to follow all the rules first? How do we work through the complication of a church, of God, of faith? And James goes on to affirm what Peter has just said. He even quotes an Old Testament prophet. And then like an attorney who's making a closing argument before a jury, he sums it all up with one sentence. And I want you to see it. Verse 19, after everybody's talked, he says, it is my judgment, therefore, that we, say it with me, should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Acts 15, 19. And it's like a mic drop moment where James says, here's our position. Don't make it difficult for people turning to God. Don't make it difficult for people who are turning to God. Now, how do we make it difficult? Well, we, we don't ever intend to. I think of my friend Skyba. He, he didn't exactly know what this great pastor was saying because he didn't know the stories. I was reminded of a, of a term that really surfaced in the early eight or the late 80s. You may be familiar with it called the curse of knowledge. You familiar with that? And the idea is that there are things that you know that you will assume the listener knows, and when you assume the listener knows, you're not as an effective communicator. So Stanford University actually did a research project where they took a room like this and they divided it in half. And they said, all right, those of you, you go outside, and then they left these folks in the room, and they said, here's what I wanted to ask you to do. We're in, a, in a minute, we're going to bring this group back in, and we're going to ask you to communicate a familiar song. And then have you guess how many of them can guess the song. And then we'll find out how many of them actually know it. Here's the catch. The song is Happy Birthday. So we know everyone over on this side will have heard it. But you can only tap it out. You can't hum it out loud. And you can't say the word. You can only tap it. So everybody practices tapping it. Then they bring in this side back into the room. And they said, all right, here's what we're going to do. They're going to tap out a tune. And you're going to guess what the tune is. So they start tapping it out. 
They go through the whole song and they ask this side. All right, before you, we want to ask all of you, how many of them do you think know the song? And they consistently guessed that 50% or more of this side of the room knew the song. And every single time, never more than 2.5% of these people knew the song. Because they heard the tune in their head. They only heard the tap. They didn't hear the tune. And this is what happens when outsiders come into our church. They don't know the tune. They don't know the culture. They, They may not know where the bathrooms are. We intend to communicate welcome by sort of a tap, but they don't doesn't mean they feel welcomed. When I go to talk about what's going on in Scripture, I might assume they know who Paul and Barnabas are, but they may not have any idea who Paul and Barnabas are. Sometimes people can have heard the gospel, but they don't yet understand it until they hear it multiple times. See, we can't be satisfied with tapping out the songs for the outsider. We've got to consistently be singing the tune. It's all about the gospel. This is what Paul and Barnabas kept saying. And we should never forget at the end of the day, that people who come in do not hear the tune that we hear. And our obligation is to be sensitive to that. Now, here's a ladder, and you may be wondering, why is a ladder on stage again? Well, here's why. When my friend Skyba came to that church back in the early 90s, this is what I believe he experienced. He came thinking he was going to take a step toward faith. And he saw how this worked for all of us who were raised in church and loved God. But it was too big a step for him to get from there to there. He didn't know how to do it. It's not that he didn't want to do it. He just didn't know how to do it. And we were so busy growing our relationship with God that we weren't focused on reaching people for God. And I believe there have been many decades where the church has been more effective growing people than reaching people. And this is what Jesus kept saying is, I will leave the 99 and go after the one. That means when people come in, we want to be super well-staffed so that people know you are welcomed here. And we want to go out of our way to give the backstory. We want to tell people where the book of the Bible is. Whether you know how to spell Acts, A-C-T-S, or if you think it's A-X, we want you here, right? It doesn't matter because here's the deal. Jesus came to save all of us, and none of us have an inside track. We're all equally guilty and equally undeserving of his matchless love. And so we don't want to be insiders and outsiders. We have to work really hard that while we're enjoying this, that we keep the lower rungs in. But here's what I also want to give a quick little parenthesis, a quick little caveat. I believe that in the early 90s, there was also a shift realizing that this was a problem. And all of a sudden, what we began to see churches wisely do is put the lower rungs back in the ladder so that people could come to faith. However, we accidentally took the upper rungs out of the ladder and all of a sudden, we became more effective at reaching people than we were at growing people in their relationship with God. This is where we said, okay, we're going to take the Bible and kind of put it in the passenger seat and we're going to really focus on trying to help people discover a relationship with Jesus. And I think that worked for a season, but here's a Barna survey that reveals how church attendance has been trending in our nation over the last 10 years particularly. If you look at this chart here, it reveals that in around 2008, 9, and 10, attendance in our nation began to decline significantly in churches, and this is all pre-COVID. I believe what was happening is we were reaching people and we weren't growing people as well as we wanted to. 
It was never, but the pendulum just swung from one side to the next. And then when crisis came, people walked away from their faith in increasing numbers. Next generation didn't seem to be as close as the previous generation. And on and on it went. And all of a sudden, we became more effective at reaching than growing. Can I just say this? LifePoint, this is what I love about our church and has been from day one. LifePoint, we want to be a church where you can grow your relationship with Jesus and you can introduce your, your neighbor to Jesus. Amen? We want it to be about all the rungs in the ladder. We want people to be able, this is you, we want you to be able to grow your faith. We want others to be able to inter, get introduced to Jesus in their faith. And here's what happened in the first century. At the end of this meeting, it says the people were glad, especially the men, that it could be that simple again. And faith got simple, and it was about coming to know Jesus and Jesus alone. It wasn't about who was the inside, who was the outside, who knew enough, who didn't know enough, who was living a certain way, who wasn't living a certain where you fell on a political side. It didn't matter. It was about Jesus and Jesus alone, that He and He alone is sufficient. And it was a beautiful day as thousands of people came to know Christ and then tens of thousands of people came to know Christ. And guess what? A hundred years later, it became complicated again. Because this is what we do. We accidentally keep making it more and more complicated. And generation after generation has seen the gospel become complicated and then there will be a swing and it will become simple again and people come to know Christ and as soon as they do, it becomes complicated again. We see a time in history when in the 16th century, the only people who could come to Christ were people who knew Latin and they could access the scriptures, people who were rich and people who were educated. Everybody else, it was just too big of a step, they couldn't get there. Martin Luther came along and he said, no, 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 faith alone. And all of a sudden, the rungs were put back down and everyone could access the gospel again. And guess what happened? People flocked to the church and they flocked to the gospel because it wasn't even about the church. This is just a Jesus community of people who want to know Jesus more and invite others, no matter where they are on the ladder, to come and know Him more. This is who we are and this is what we want to be about. We want to grow in our relationship with Jesus and we want to introduce our neighbors to Jesus. This is how it's always been intended to be. But guess what? After Martin Luther did that in the 16th century, a hundred years later, it came complicated again. And that's when all the denominations sprung up from division over secondary issues. It's just the way we are. We tend to make things complicated. I just want to say what I know you feel and what you desire as well. Jesus didn't come to this earth and die on a cross for a complicated religion so that people who were outside couldn't make their way in. Jesus came and died on the cross to rescue all people. And when we look at who is in this county, over a million people are in this county. And guess what? Every single one of them have as their greatest need Jesus Christ. There are 7.7 billion people on this earth and every single one of them have as their greatest need, Jesus Christ. And we don't want to put any hurdles between us and them in accessing Jesus Christ. You know why they matter? Because everyone matters to God. Because we know that everyone spends forever somewhere. And we must do whatever it takes to make sure they have an opportunity to respond to this Jesus and nothing else gets 
in the way. Amen. And here's what I want to say. You know who matters to God? Those of you who are here and you just want to take the next step in your faith and know God more. You matter to God. You know who else matters to God? The family that's going to come next Sunday and they're going to show up right on time and they're not going to know it's going to take a few minutes to check your kids in and then they're going to walk in here a couple of minutes late. They're not going to know the songs. They're not going to know that we're in Acts chapter 16 where this incredible story takes off as we begin another missionary trip with Paul. They're not going to know anything about all that. They matter to God. Jesus came to earth for them. We matter to Him. And our goal, our job, is to make it as simple as possible so that we can know Him more, others can know Him as well. It is our call that we can grow in our relationship with God, and this can also be a place where others can know Him too. So I want to I tell you that you may be wondering, well, how in the world can you create a church that has all the rungs on the ladder? where people can grow deeper in their faith and we can introduce others to Jesus. I'm going to be real transparent with you and tell you, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. But I think James gives us the right question. And that is, does this make it difficult for people who are turning to God? And here's what I want to tell you. I am so proud of LifePoint and our history of pursuing that. I want to commit the rest of my life to that question. How can we not make it difficult for people who are turning to God? Because He is a wonderful Savior that most of us have already met and discovered on our own. And so our job is just to remove all the hurdles so that people can find and discover Him on their own. May we not make it difficult. James encourages us, and I want to tell you, we want to make that our question from now on. How can we not make it difficult for people who are turning to God? And I just want to ask you to help us. Here's how you can help us. Would you keep praying that God will bring people who don't know God? Would you keep praying that we'll make good decisions in removing hurdles for people who are pursuing God? Would you keep inviting people who don't know Jesus and let's give us feedback on how we can remove hurdles for people who don't know Jesus? Would you keep serving like many of you have begun uh, as a greeter or in student ministry and children's ministry and the worship team? So many of you have begun to serve and we're so grateful for that. We're going to have more people baptized next week. Some of you are serving, helping facilitate that. We want to say thank you for that. Keep serving. Let's figure this out together, but let's continue to make this a place where we remove the difficulties people to find this wonderful Jesus. Now, if you're here and you know him and you want to know what your next step is, well, I don't know what that is, but I want to give you some options. So on the screen, you're going to see some next step options. Maybe your option is just to come back next Sunday. Maybe your next step would be to give your life to Jesus. Maybe it would be to get baptized. Again, you can go to that QR code and let us know that's what you want to do. Maybe you want to begin to read the scriptures on a regular basis. You want to join a life group. Maybe you want to actually give back some of your finances or join a service team. Maybe there's a completely different step that you already know God is inviting you to. And here's what I want to do. I want to do something a little bit different right now. I don't want to preach a message like this and then not give you a chance to do business with God. What is the next step for you? So we'll leave that on the screen just as a prompter, but I want to give you right now, I want to give you about 30 seconds to just, as the band continues to play, just to give you a quietness of this moment, for you to bow your head, for you to close your eyes, and for you to just ask God, what is my next step that you are inviting me to take? You know what? He has a way of answering those prayers when we ask.
ask those questions. So in the quietness of this moment, would you just ask God, what is my next step? And we'll give you time to have that conversation with him. So right now, would you just pray? together because next week we have a brand new memory verse and some of you might be thinking well oh god i just now got this one down exactly so next week we have a new one i want to ask you to stand with me and let's say this verse now you have the great context of james in saying this verse to the jerusalem council when it was getting difficult for outsiders to come to know jesus and this is our memory verse would you say it out loud with me it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Acts 15. Now, I know you read really well, but now we're going to take the slide away and give you another shot. I'll say it with you. Say it with me, church. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Acts 15. Hey, great job. Give yourself a hand. Praise the Lord. That... Let's pray. God, thank you so much for who you are. At the end of the day, Father, you are the leader of this church. Father, we come here to meet you. We come here to encounter you. God, we want to say thank you for our salvation, as we sang earlier. God, we want to say thank you for those who gave their life to you and then went public with their faith in baptism today. God, we say thank you for the way you're moving in our church. Would you continue to move? We want to have open hands for what you, Father, want to do here. And Lord, we say thank you that you use us to reach others. May we not make it difficult for those who are turning to you. God, give us wisdom in how to do that and how to do it better. And Lord, we ask for a movement of your spirit here. Lord, we are convinced that just like you did in the book of Acts, you want to do it again. We ask for renewal. We ask for a reawakening in this place, in this county, and in our world. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope today's message was an encouragement to you. And if you'd like a little more information about our church, just visit us on our website at lifepointplano.org.